Our coverage of Ukraine crisis continues. Let's hand it over to Wolf Blitzer and CNN tonight. Wolf. Anderson, thank you very much. Uh, we want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer, and this is CNN Tonight. A series of loud explosions are being seen and heard in and around Kiev, and there are reports of heavy fighting in a town about 20 miles south of the capital and now in an eastern suburb as Russian forces are clearly closing in. The fate of Ukraine is being decided right now, that according to President Zelensky in a brand new address to his nation that is under attack. This night will be very difficult, and the enemy will use all available forces to break the resistance of Ukrainians. This night we have to stand ground. The fate of Ukraine is being decided right now. Air air raid sirens have been blaring throughout much of the night in the capital. As Zelensky confirms, Russian forces are indeed closing in rapidly. The U.S. is concerned uh, Kyiv could fall to Russia within a matter of days, maybe sooner. The Russians have taken over an air base just north of the city and are also advancing along two routes from the north and at least one from the east. Zelensky warns Russia will use all available forces to break uh, the resistance and is advising Ukrainians tonight to stand ground. Many civilians are, though, heeding calls to fight however they can. Others have escaped the capital and the country, indeed, by the tens of thousands. Zelensky posted a video earlier to show that he's still very much engaged in the besieged capital, along with key members of his cabinet, even though he believes he's the enemy's target number one. The situation is so dire, the Biden, Biden administration believes Russia will threaten to kill the families of Ukrainian soldiers if they don't surrender. The U.S. has gone so far now as to announce it will sanction Vladimir Putin uh, directly, along with his foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, and some Russian national security officials. This is a very rare step indeed to sanction a world leader, and it follows the European Union's decision to do so. They did so first along with the U.K. But Putin is showing no signs of backing down tonight. NATO's response force has been activated, get this, for the first time since NATO was established back in 1949 to defend the alliance. NATO Secretary General says more than 100 jets are at high alert in more than 30 locations, along with more than 120 ships from the high north to the Mediterranean. We have total coverage tonight across Ukraine, as well as in Moscow and wherever the breaking news takes us. But let's begin with CNN's Alex Marquardt. He's in the capital of Kyiv. Uh, Alex, uh, President Zelensky minces no words. He says Kyiv could fall under Russia's control by tonight. What are you seeing and hearing tonight on the ground in Kyiv? A very honest assessment uh, from President Zelensky there, Wolf, and and from all the evidence that we have seen and that we are hearing, he is right. There is growing evidence uh, that the Russians are really coming at this capital city of three million Ukrainians uh, from all angles. Just moments ago, we heard what we believe to be uh, the closest explosions to the city center yet. That is coming from the west, uh, which is directly in front of me. Uh, We know that over the course of the past 
24 hours, some of the fiercest fighting in Kyiv has been to the north and northeast of the city. Uh, our own Matthew Chance was up at an airfield uh, yesterday uh, that was taken uh, by the Russians. We know that Russians are marching on the city uh, from the east, and we've just gotten word that there is some fierce fighting also taking place uh, about 30 uh, kilometers or 20 miles to the south. So really uh, from every different direction, Wolf. Uh, so you have that honest assessment from President Zelensky, but at the same time, he says uh, that the Ukrainians are putting up a fierce fight and there is evidence of that. So far, uh, the Russians have not made their way into uh, into the city. Uh, President Zelensky saying that some that hundreds uh, of Russian service members have been killed, but also admitting uh, that there have been significant losses on the Ukrainian side as well. The president has warned that tonight uh, will be uh, a, a real test, a, a real moment um, of, of, of a test for this country and for this city. Uh, he said that the fate of Ukraine is being decided right now. And Wolf, to give you a sense of where we are right now, not only have reservists for the Ukrainian military been called up, there has been uh, a general mobilization uh, of all men from 18 to 60 years old. Anybody who wants a weapon to fight uh, it, it can, can be given one. Um, and, you know, the, the Ministry of Defense not too long ago uh, called on Ukrainians to, uh, to put together Molotov cocktails to throw uh, at advancing Russian forces. That's where we are right now. Uh, there is a lot of pride in the Ukrainian armed forces. There is a lot of patriotism and a lot of people saying that they're going to go out and fight. But that just gives you a, a sense uh, uh, to, to, to which uh, the, 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 um, the Ukrainian forces are outmanned and outgunned. So we are hearing more explosions uh, in now and around Kyiv. Uh, we are hearing air raid sirens go off in the city. We are seeing uh, some, of, some flashes in the distance as those explosions uh, happen. So the mounting evidence, Wolf, uh, that this fighting is getting closer and closer to the capital city. I take, it, uh, I take it, Alex, the explosions have been getting louder and louder as they get closer and closer to where you are in the center of the city. That's absolutely right. Um, and the, the latest ones are, uh, we believe, just a couple kilometers or miles away uh, to the west. Um, and I believe that we have some some video of that. So let's let's take a listen so you can get a good sense uh, of of where of what we are hearing from this vantage point downtown. Take a listen. So that obviously coming from a resident uh, of that area, again, to the west of the city. Um, and I just I just want to reemphasize, Wolf, that we are now seeing and hearing this kind of explosion uh, coming from every direction. That is in the west, uh, we believe, over near uh, the Kiev Zoo. Um, to the north, uh, which has been the real concern uh, for this city, that is where we have seen the most significant fighting. Um, remember, Russian troops coming down uh, towards Kiev uh, from the Belarusian border, uh, where, the, where tens of thousands of Russian forces have gathered over the past few weeks for what they have called exercises. Uh, now, clearly obvious that it was, it, it was, they were gathering for this invasion. Uh, we came up from the southern part 
of uh, we came up uh, into Kyiv from the south uh, not too long ago. And now we are being told some of the fiercest fighting tonight is taking place about 20 miles uh, from the from the capital down there uh, just south of Kyiv. Yeah, let's not forget uh, Kyiv is a big city. It's a city of almost three million people, heavily populated. And if the Russians are attacking all these various areas in and around the city, uh, God only knows how many people might be getting killed and injured in the process. Alex, I want you to stand by. We're going to get back to you for any new developments. I know uh, this is a dangerous situation. I want you to be very, very safe. It gets too dangerous. You go to that bunker that uh, I know you guys have over there. But stand by. We'll get back to you soon. In the meantime, I want to go straight to Moscow. Nick Robertson is on the scene for us there. Nick, uh, uh, what do you know about Russia's plans tonight? Because the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, says tonight could be the night that the Russian forces move into the capital. In one word, ominous. I think that's the best way to describe the plans. The Russians have said they've gone in to demilitarize and denazify the country. Um, President Putin holds President Zelensky in absolute... Uh, the lowest regard possible. I mean, he's sort of venomous towards him in, in the tone and the, la the type of language that he uses. Uh, so there certainly does seem to be enough reason to believe that there will be an effort to, to topple the leadership, to kill the leadership. That's one part of the tactic. But I think the other very ominous thing that we learned over the past few hours or so was when President Putin spoke and he accused uh, the U.S. military of advising the Ukraine military to put their weaponry in civilian areas. Now, this is right out of Russia's uh, playbook of, of operations. If they say, oh, we seem to, we, oh dear, we think that the military is hiding the uh, military equipment in the civilian neighborhood, that tells you the Russians are going to go and attack the civilian neighborhoods, despite the fact that 24 hours ago they were saying, no, the civilians should be safe. The other thing that Putin is doing as well, he's called on the Ukrainian military, the Ukrainian people, to turn on their own government, completely misreading the situation. So this is an environment now where essentially President Putin has declared open season on civilian neighborhoods to achieve his military victory. Where it stops in the city, decapitating the leadership is, is still the best guess, Wolf. All right, Nick, uh, we're going to get back to you as well. Nick Robertson in Moscow with the latest from there. Uh, I want to discuss what's going on right now and bring in retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis and Julia Yaffe, a veteran journalist on Russia. She knows what's going on, uh, a founding partner, by the way, at Puck News. Uh, Colonel Davis, considering what we're hearing on the ground, what we're seeing, Kiev, the capital, under siege right now, we're hearing a lot, lots of explosions going on in and around the city. How worried are you? that the capital could fall? Well, I mean, based on all the things that are being reported and, and the things that uh, your correspondents are seeing on the ground there, I think the chances are much higher than, than I thought maybe even 12, 24 hours ago because the assumption was that the Ukrainians were going to fight a little bit tougher and, and have a slower go and maybe even set up some significant defenses within the city. But so far, it honestly doesn't look like that the Ukraine military 
as an organization, has been able to even slow down the Russians. I mean, I heard some complaints earlier today say that the, the Russian advance was going slower. But as your correspondents have just pointed out, they are advancing on the capital from literally every direction. And wherever there's been a pitched battle, the Russians win. They, they put down the, the Ukrainians and they move completely forward. Now, I think that, that this kind of brings out a point that needs to be brought out that no one's talking about yet. If President Zelensky sees that the Russians are coming and that his forces can't stop it, the last thing he should be doing is putting his people in harm's way by telling them to go out and throw Molotov cocktails, handing them AK-47s they have no idea how to use properly. All he's going to do is end up getting people killed, and it's not going to change the outcome. I think right now he should really be pressing with what the the uh, New York Times is reporting, that he is willing to negotiate a, a declaration of neutrality with Russia in Israel. That's where he should go. That's what can save his people at this point, And that's probably all. Well, what do you think, Julia? Because uh, I don't think there's any indication at all, at least I haven't seen any indication that Putin uh, and the Russians are ready to negotiate anything. I think that's right, Wolf. And although I understand the concern about um, people getting killed and that it's might feel irresponsible to tell them to make Molotov cocktails and shoot AK-47s at Russian tanks. I think politically, Zelensky is in a very tough spot. You know, what? what is he going to do? Just uh, negotiate and give up Ukraine's sovereignty or Ukraine's mem potential membership to NATO? I, I think it's going to look too um, like he's cutting and running or, you know, de exceeding defeat before it's absolutely necessary. And it seems like the mood in the country is such that people want to fight and they want their president to fight. And um, I don't I, that might be at odds with kind of keeping casualties low. But I think the mood is that they want to stand up to the Russian conquerors. You know, Colonel Davis, uh, Russia, as you know, has amassed, what, nearly 200,000 troops, maybe 190,000 troops uh, around uh, Ukraine. Uh, many of those troops are now in Ukraine. Uh, how much more brutal could this entire assault get? Well, it could go a lot worse. Evidence indicates that this has been a phased approach and that that uh, Russia did not just like roll all these 200,000 uh, vehicles and tanks and, and other personnel in, but they're doing it in a phased approach to make penetrations and then they'll bring other uh, what's called pursuit forces to go through that. And that's when you could see some rapid roll-ups. But, but I do want to point out, officially from the Kremlin, they have said, after Zelensky made that comment earlier today, they officially said they are willing to talk about this and they're actually talking with Israel too. But the other thing, and this is, look, this is the hard reality. If it's evident that militarily you can't stop Russia, then it doesn't matter how brave a face you want to put on there. There's no point in putting civilians in harm's way if the end result is going to be the same. Whether you, whether you make a negotiation, whether you even say, hey, I'm going to surrender the capital so it doesn't get hit, or you say, no, we're going to fight to the end, the end result is the same. The difference is how many people have to die before that. And I think the leader has a responsibility to take care of his people. Uh, this is moving very, very rapidly indeed. Julia, uh, U.S. officials, as you well know, suspect Putin's goal is first to topple Kiev, uh, the capital, put his own pro-Russian government in place, uh, either arrest or kill Zelensky uh, and maybe uh, other cabinet members and their families. Uh, uh, Ukrainians have become a lot more independent, uh, more anti-Russian over the past eight years, haven't they? 
Yeah, and in part, that's Putin's handiwork. The more he wanted to forcibly bring them into his embrace, the more he's driven them away and toward the West. And uh, if Ukraine was a country that was much more divided before 2014, Putin certainly remedied that. And these days, I don't think Ukraine has ever been as uh, unified. You have opposition politicians praising uh President Zelensky, even though they used to criticize him. There is a real rallying around the flag effect. And I just want to get back to the point about negotiations. Uh, I think if, if we've learned anything from the last uh, couple months is that the Russians don't want to negotiate. Putin made that very clear in his in, you know, speech in declaring the invasion. And it's something that a lot of his ministers and officials have echoed. The goal isn't NATO anymore. Uh, at least not the stated goal. I don't think it was ever about NATO and neutrality. He talked about denazifying Ukraine, Ukraine, which has a Jewish president and a Jewish prime minister. Um, the goal is to it, the goal is regime change. I don't know how you negotiate that, and I don't know how um, you know civilian casualties or not. Of course, you want to save people's lives, but there is also a political aspect and a kind of, for lack of a better term, a spiritual aspect to this. Uh, the Ukrainians don't want to be defeated before they have to be. And that might be irrational and that might be emotional, but I think emotions are running high, so high right now and um, it's hard to not understand that. Yeah, Putin made it very clear in that speech that he gave. Uh, he doesn't even regard Ukraine as a country. He sees it, obviously, as part of Russia. Uh, Julia Yaffe, thank you very much. Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis, thanks to you as well. Uh, we appreciate both of your expertise tonight. We're keeping a very, very close eye on Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine tonight. Explosions are being seen in and around the capital. This is clearly Putin's war right now. Why did he choose to do this? Right now, we're going to take it to a former U.S. ambassador to NATO. We'll discuss as our breaking news coverage continues. The breaking news this hour, explosions, many explosions in and around Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine, coming from several directions. Listen to this. knows how many people are being killed uh, right now. Our crews are in the capital city. They are among those seeing and hearing these awful, horrendous sounds. We'll go back to our correspondents uh, in just a moment uh, as new information comes in. But I want to bring in my next guest. He says President Putin's goal is bigger, bigger than simply taking over Ukraine. He has a larger plan. We're talking about Putin. His plan is to reestablish the former Soviet Union before the 100th anniversary of the founding of the USSR. We're talking to uh, the former U.S. ambassador to NATO, the former U.S. special representative for Ukraine negotiations, Kurt Volker. He's joining us right now. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us. As we say, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. We're monitoring this assault on Kyiv that's going on right now. How big of a blow will it be if Ukraine's capital falls to Putin in the coming hours? 
this would be the devastation of Ukraine, uh, that if the capital falls, I think the country falls. And Russia will have successfully taken over all of the country. I think they will leave their forces on the territory of Ukraine. They will seize the control of the borders of Ukraine to the west, to Europe. And this is one more piece in the puzzle. Uh, Putin has taken over Belarus. He's taken control of the security services in Kazakhstan. He's taken pieces of Georgia and Moldova, already taken pieces of Ukraine. But now if he gets the whole thing, this is one more big step on his project of reestablishing a Russian empire. And recreating the USSR, is that, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I think the USSR is slightly different because that had a communist ideology, which I think Putin despises. I think he feels that the leaders of the USSR let the country down because they allowed these territories to be, uh, become independent, to slip away. And he thinks that was based on a, a foolish attachment to communist ideology. Putin is using nationalism and religion as a way to unify the Russian people. And I think he is uh, intending that he will recreate, reaccumulate the lands, but do a better job in holding them together and exercising power. You were the uh, former U.S. ambassador to NATO, uh, been to NATO headquarters in Brussels many times. It was established, NATO was established in 1949, as you well know, and now for the first time ever, the 30-member NATO alliance has activated what it calls its NATO response force. NATO Supreme Allied Commander says the force is flexible and combat credible. So what do you say? What's the significance of this historic move the first time ever? Look, well, uh, well this is a good move. Uh, it is important that NATO show to Russia that we will defend NATO allies. If they're attacked, we will come to their defense. There will be a direct conflict with Russia if they do that. Therefore, Russia should not touch NATO. That's very important. But the problem with this is it doesn't address the immediate issue of Russia's attacks on Ukraine. This NATO response force is not going to be deployed to defend Ukraine. Uh, it is there to reassure and protect existing NATO allies. We need to have more on the table of what we can do today, tonight to help the Ukrainians fend off this Russian attack. In the Situation Room uh, a few hours ago, I spoke with Congressman Adam Kinzinger. He's a U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and he told me that to protect the Ukrainians' citizens, which is the immediate need right now, the U.S. and NATO should declare what, what he calls a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Uh, would that be worth the risk? What, what's your reaction to that, Ambassador? Yeah, I think this is a very serious idea that we should be looking at. Maybe not all of Ukraine, because I think the closer we get to Russian territory, the more we put our own planes at risk of, of uh, Russian ground-to-air missiles that could take our planes down. But if we're talking about preventing airborne attacks or missile attacks against civilian populations in Ukraine, uh, this is certainly worth looking at. Uh, we did this, if you remember, uh, over the Kurdish areas in Iraq when Saddam Hussein was trying to exterminate the Kurds in Iraq. It bought them time and it allowed them to build one of the most stable and prosperous pieces of territory in, the, in Iraq uh, these days. I think Ukraine needs time and needs support. I would add one thing to what he said as well. In addition to a no-fly zone over Kiev and, and parts of uh, Ukraine, I would like to see a corridor established 
where we are able to continue deliver, to deliver supplies and military equipment to the Ukrainians so they can continue to defend themselves. They've depleted a lot of stuff in the past few days, Stinger missiles, Javelin missiles. Uh, we should be opening up a pipeline to help them, even if we don't put U.S. forces in harm's way. Yeah, those are all, all very, very strong ideas. Ambassador Kurt Volker will continue this conversation. Thank you very, very much, and thanks for your service over these many years. Uh, I want to get back to Kyiv uh, right now, the Ukrainian capital, where Russian forces are clearly closing in. Is tonight the night the capital of Ukraine could actually fall? Or can the Ukrainians actually save the city? CNN is there live. We have reporters on the scene. We'll check in with them right after this. More explosions in and around uh, Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital, tonight as Vladimir Putin's war against the country has now entered day three. Uh, some of the newest video is coming in. We're going to share it with you as well. I want to check back with CNN's Alex Marquardt. He's in the capital uh, of Kyiv for us. Uh, Alex, so tell our viewers what you're seeing now, what you're hearing now. What has been going on over these past several minutes? Well, Wolf, what's really striking is that it is incredibly quiet in this city until that silence is is pierced by the sounds of the fighting. We've heard some of the closest explosions to the center uh, of downtown Kyiv in just the past hour. It is to the western part of the city, just a couple uh, miles or kilometers away. Uh, that is, the, that is the, those are the closest explosions, the closest signs of fighting uh, as Russians look to encircle this city that we have yet seen. Now, straight behind me to the east, uh, we are also getting reports of more fierce fighting. Um, and then again to the south. And now all that is coupled uh, with what we know that the Russians have been making their major push uh, coming in from the north. So this city is gradually getting encircled. Uh, Wolf, we've heard predictions from the U.S. side that this that the city could fall uh, in a matter of days. Uh, the, the Ukrainian president saying uh, that, that there's a very decisive moment tonight uh, for Ukraine, that, 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 that the fate of Ukraine is being decided right now. And we are seeing the signs of that escalation uh, as we speak, Wolf. And as you correctly point out, it's very quiet until there are loud explosions going on. And once again, I can only imagine uh, how many people are getting killed in all those strikes. Uh, Alex, stand by, stay safe. Uh, you and your team will get, uh, get back to you soon uh, as well. And as we watch uh, the capital, Kiev, uh, the situation there unfold. I want to bring in uh, Democratic Senator Ben Cardin. He sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. He's been well briefed uh, by U.S. officials. Just uh, You just heard that report, uh, Senator, from Kiev. Uh, do you have any intelligence on the state of play on the ground? How awful is it? Well, Wolf, uh, just about every step here has been predicted. Uh, we understand the strength of the Russian military the capacity of the Ukraine military to defend itself. We knew that Mr. Putin had uh, a desire to take over Kyiv and to overthrow the government. So that's not a surprise that we see this campaign taking place. It doesn't diminish the tragedy of the, of the events. Uh, the, the Ukrainians are going to fight. Uh, the, Mr. Putin has really unified Ukraine's uh, national pride uh, and their sovereignty and you're going to see the resistance. We saw it today. It's not moving as smoothly as Mr. Putin had hoped. Uh, and that's good news. Uh, you're seeing the resistance. Uh, but we have to be realistic and recognize that from a military point of view, 
the Russians have put everything they have into taking over Ukraine. How should the U.S. respond, Senator, if Russia seizes Kyiv, captures and then kills the president, President Zelensky? He says uh, he's their target, number one. Uh, If they do that, what should the U.S. do? Well, we need to continue to work with our allies. Unity is our strength in working with the Europeans. We've been able to impose some very crippling sanctions on those that are the closest to Mr. Putin, as well as to the way Mr. Putin finances his, his operations. Uh, they're going to be very effective in, in hurting uh, him keep power. We're also seeing uh, a popular um, uh, objections by the Russian people themselves, the protesters that are out there. Uh, the cost of this of this campaign, the, the fact that there's no reason, uh, there's no provocation for this military action by Russia, all that's uh, affecting the popular sentiment within Russia itself, which we think could have a major impact on Mr. Putin. So we got to reinforce that. We have to give the Ukrainians everything they need to defend themselves. Uh, we need to make it very costly for Mr. Putin, as personal as we can can do that and make sure that the information is made available to all people, including Russians, as to exactly how Mr. Putin is leading that country and leading them in the wrong direction. The, uh, I spoke earlier with uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, uh, who says that the U.S. and NATO allies should impose a no-fly zone uh, over Ukraine. Uh, the former U.S. ambassador to NATO, Volker, he agreed. He thought that was a good idea, at least for parts of Ukraine. Do you also agree? Well, I think we need to consider all options uh, except uh, introduction of American or NATO troops into into Ukraine. But to enforce a no-fly zone, uh, you are putting uh, um, um, the Americans or NATO forces at risk, and there is always the possibility of a confrontation directly with Russia. So it, it, it has to be in a, in a way that is aimed at protecting civilian population or, or, or uh, a way in which we can try to neutralize some of the activities that are taking place without a direct confrontation with Russia. So it's not easy to enforce a no-fly zone, but uh, it is something that I think we need to consider, particularly as we see the attacks on uh, civilian populations uh, and the casualties mount in, in regards to civilian losses. Yeah, civilian losses are growing. Casualties are growing uh, awfully, uh, awfully hard right now. Senator Ben Card, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Wolf. Ukraine's president uh, clearly fears uh, this could be the moment that Russia takes Kyiv, the capital. Our teams are on watch right now. They're in the capital. They're across Ukraine. Despite the Russian bombardment, Ukrainians are indeed putting up a ferocious fight to try to save their homeland. We're going to bring in a key member of the Ukrainian parliament. She's still in Kyiv right now, right now, and she has told CNN she's willing to take up arms herself. We'll discuss what's going on when we come back. developments unfolding right now in Ukraine. Ukrainians across the country are taking up arms as Russian troops are clearly closing in. One of them uh, is Ukrainian member of parliament, Kira Rudik, uh, who's in Kyiv, the capital, posted a picture of herself holding a Kalashnikov weapon. uh, And she's joining us right now. Kira, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Tell us, first of all, why you decided to post that picture. 
Well, because it was super unusual and super crazy for uh, myself to understand and realize that I'm holding a gun and I'm ready to bear arms and I'm ready to go and shoot the other human beings. And the reason for that uh, change was because Russian soldiers are coming to Kiev and Russian soldiers are trying to take what is actually not theirs. Uh, and it's such a weird switch from your ordinary life when you are thinking that they may come, but you are still a member of parliament and you're doing meetings and legislation and talking to people. And then one day you just know that they're coming and then you have to do something. And that's when you get a gun and then you learn how to shoot it. And then you, um, and then you understand that you need to get a group of resistance, which we did. And now we are helping uh, our army to uh, fight Russians, to fight Russian soldiers that are coming to Kiev and that are trying to take Kiev right now when we are talking with you. Uh, how, intense, uh, how intense is the fighting in the capital of Kiev uh, right now? Uh, what are you seeing and what are you hearing? Because we did hear loud explosions, booms going on throughout the past hour or so. So for the last two days, there has been like 11 Air Force attacks and they are very often uh, right now. So for the last couple of hours, we had like at least three sirens. So when we had to go uh, to the bomb shelter and you see the stairs behind me, this is under them, my family and I, we hide here. So um it's it's intensifying and there are russian forces on in the north and the south of the city but they are not moving and making great progress we are throwing them back uh and we are actually biting them very very hard as the last like two days there has been three thousand people of uh casualties in in russian army so uh, th that's a, a fantastic result for ukrainian army do you think uh, Putin uh, underestimated the resolve of the Ukrainian people? I'm absolutely sure. He underestimated the readiness of our army and he underestimated that on every step of the way of his soldiers, they were given like a really hard resistance and people are arming themselves. People are fighting them at every, every inch of our soil. This is what the citizens have to do and this is what we do. Did you ever think, Kira, that you and so many other civilians in, in Kyiv and elsewhere in Ukraine would be uh, taking, up, uh, uh, taking up a learning how to fire a rifle, a Kalashnikov in your particular case, because the Russians are moving in? Like if you would have told me that three days ago, I would have said, Wolf, you are crazy. But now this is our new reality and we have to we have to do the best what we can uh, in this new reality. It's war, it's active war that is happening in Kiev now, and we are part of it. And we are not leaving because this is our city, this is our country, and there is like no Putin soldiers who will be telling us what to do and where to live. Kira Rudik, uh, good luck to you, good luck to your family, good luck to everyone uh, in Kyiv. Uh, it's an awful, awful situation. I know tens of thousands of Ukrainians are trying to get out. They're going to Poland and elsewhere as quickly as they can. You're staying put. Uh, we will stay in touch with you. Good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you.
And to our viewers, stay with us because uh, we're watching every move in the Ukrainian capital right now. And indeed, across Ukraine uh, with its president, President Zelensky, warning this could be the make or break moment in the Russian invasion. The horrifying scenes of bloodshed come with equally ugly and false claims from Vladimir Putin. He's basically claiming uh, that he's simply fighting neo-Nazis. He's fighting neo-Nazis, he says, in a country. That country, by the way, uh, the leader of that country is Jewish, lost family members in the Holocaust. And Putin is making outrageous claims like that. An expert on Russia and Ukraine standing by live to join me will discuss how he believes Putin is actually using tactics, tactics like those this is what this professor says of Adolf Hitler. That's next. We're keeping a very close eye right now on the assault on Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital. Fear is growing tonight that uh, the capital could fall in the coming hours. Remember, it was just 48 hours ago that uh, Putin began this nationwide invasion in the first place under the pretense of the demilitarization and denazification, his words, of Ukraine. Now, my next guest says these moves are Hitler-like tactics. We're talking about the Yale professor, Timothy Snyder. He's the author of several books on Russia and Ukraine. He's joining us right now. Professor, thank you so much. Uh, as you know, Putin is claiming that Ukraine's leadership, in particular President Zelensky, is a neo-Nazi. You point out that it's not only absurd, but it's actually cruel, considering the fact that Zelensky is Jewish, he's a grandchild, of Holocaust survivors. Talk a little bit about this. Yeah, I mean, this, this charge of denazification, it's meant to confound us and, and discourage us and confuse us. But the basic reality is that Putin has everything turned around. It, Ukraine is a democratic country, not an authoritarian one like Russia. It has a Jewish president who won more than 70% of the vote, which is, I have to say, unthinkable in pretty much any other country in the world. It's a multicultural, bi bilingual society. And that's what makes it unbearable for Putin. Precisely the fact that somebody from a national minority could come out of nowhere and be elected president, that's what's despicable for Putin. Because Putin just can't imagine that someone who's in power could voluntarily lose power. And that's what he's punishing Zelensky for. What, what is his narrative all about? I'm talking about Putin. What is he trying to achieve, his bottom line goal? His, his, well, his bottom line goal is to, uh, is, is, there are two. The first is militarily, he wants to come into Kiev, arrest the political and civic leaders of the Ukrainian state um, and get them out of power and try them in some way, probably. And this is where the genocide language comes in. I think it's very likely, and he's said as much, that he intends to use the genocide and denazification language to set up some kind of kangaroo court um, which would serve the purpose of condemning these people to death or condemning them to prison or incarceration. But meanwhile, because he's using the language of denazification and genocide, he's also diluting or trivializing or, or perverting these concepts, which are so important to us, so important to our recollection of the war and, and our sense of what we can learn from history. You know, another really awful remark that Putin made, and he's made so many, uh, has been that Ukraine uh, as a sovereign nation shouldn't even exist at all. Uh, how dangerous is a statement like that? 
It goes back to your first question. I mean, that is straight out of Hitler's playbook, 1938, 1939, to claim that a democratic neighboring state is some kind of artificial creation that doesn't deserve to exist. The whole basis of post-war international law is that states recognize one another as states. It's not for dictators to decide who's a real country and who's not a real country, who's more equal than someone else, who's big brother and who's and who's a little brother. When you say that a state doesn't exist, as he said, when you say that a nation doesn't exist, as he, as he said, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up as the person who has the right to destroy that state and the right to destroy that nation, which ties together with all of this, because the way you destroy a nation is you invade it and you take away its leadership, which is, I'm afraid, what Putin has been planning to do. You think he's going to try to uh, capture and kill President Zelensky? I, yes, I believe that I believe that that's been the goal from the beginning. And I think it's pretty clear in his language. And when we think about trying to stop Putin, that's the particular thing that we should be thinking about. And by the way, we should be looking with admiration and courage at Volodymyr Zelensky himself, at his sheer physical courage, you know? I mean, Putin is someone who has to be 50 feet away from the French president. Zelensky, under fire, stays in his capital, takes selfie videos of himself, right, and remains with his people. Whatever happens next, that's an example of just simple physical courage, which I think we ought to be remembering. Professor Timothy Snyder of Yale University, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to continue our conversation down the road. Appreciate it very much. And we'll be right back with much more on all the breaking news. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Thanks very much for joining us. Please join me tomorrow for a special two-hour Saturday edition of The Situation Room that begins live at 5 p.m. Eastern. Our breaking news coverage continues right now with Don Lemon tonight. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.